So we went from a 12-game season to potentially a 7-game season and ultimately a 4-game season for the Arizona State Sun Devils in the year 2020. What to make out of this bizarre, challenging COVID-19 campaign? Well, that's going to be the topic of today's podcast. I will share my thoughts, and later on, you will hear from Arizona State's 1987 Rose Bowl MVP and the color analyst for the Sun Devil Network, Jeffrey Rapworth, who will share his perspective on what he's seen from this year's Arizona State squad. Thanks for giving us a listen. Let's get started. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil Junkies podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hode Rubino. And I don't know if dissecting a 2020 season is probably the right word to use when you only have a campaign that lasted only four contests, but I don't know if it even makes it easier to review everything that happened during those two wins and two losses for Arizona State. So maybe it's an easier task than a normal season. Maybe it's actually harder to really put everything in perspective. It's definitely a year that Sun Devil fans should feel a sense of disappointment. And I think maybe the sense of disappointment might vary from individual to individual. You have a sense of disappointment that ASU, much like the rest of the Pac-12, was not able to play a 12-game schedule or anything close to that. And it's definitely frustrating to see a lot of other Power 5 conferences where any given program playing double-digit games was certainly the norm and not the exception. You definitely feel a sense of disappointment when you see an Arizona State team that easily could have finished this season, short season and all, with a record of 4-0. and I mean, those two losses to USC and UCLA, and I would say especially the loss to the Trojans, is something that's going to stick in fans' craw, I feel, for a long, long time. Season opener in the LA Coliseum, where Arizona State had an excellent opportunity to make a resounding statement and put its stake in the ground, at least for the time being, as being in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 South Championship, just to see a nightmare of fourth quarter on defense and on special teams, let it all slip away. Then you have a COVID hiatus, which forced ASU to take three weeks off and really, in a sense, have a month before their first contest until their second one, a home game against UCLA, another single-digit loss, and maybe not as close as the USC outcome was, but nonetheless disappointing having the lead in the fourth quarter just to relinquish it later on. In hindsight, disappointing that that was the only game that Arizona State got to play in the friendly confines of Sun Devil Stadium. But the way ASU ended the 2020 season was definitely really encouraging. And granted, they played two of the worst teams in the entire league, the University of Arizona and Oregon State. But both of those games were on the road. Just getting ready for any game, whether it's home or away, during this COVID-challenging campaign was quite the task. But for Arizona State, ultimately to win two out of the three 
road games in 2020 is no small feat. The Territorial Cup game in Tucson, a 7-7 dominating performance by ASU is something that I know a lot of ASU fans are not going to forget for a long, long time, if ever. Finally seeing what this offense and defense can do on full display. And look, full disclosure, I think that this Wildcats squad definitely did check out, if not in the first half, maybe even in the first quarter for that matter. So surely made life easier for ASU, if you will. But nonetheless, the fact, and I talked a lot about this in my post-game pieces, that ASU never let their foot off the gas pedal on either side of the ball, took a lot of the frustrations of this 2020 season on other in-state rival uh, was definitely a bright spot for the Sun Devils. And the last game of the season, a road game at o- Oregon State, extremely rainy conditions, late kickoff, 8.30 Arizona time. And I was really impressed by the mental fortitude of this squad, which definitely had a lot to bitch and moan about, if you will, having to play three out of their four games this year on the road and in the fourth game just being less than ideal conditions, to put it kindly, all around. ASU ends up scoring 26 unanswered points in the first half en route to a 46-33 victory. A game that obviously was not pleasing to the eye on the stat sheet, especially on the defensive ledger for Arizona State, but, but nonetheless, it was another convincing performance, another performance that really gives you a lot of hope uh, for the future for this 2021 season, and we'll talk a little about that later on. So let's go ahead and examine both sides of the ball for Arizona State, starting with its offense. I know some, and rightfully so, might take exception for the fact that you're applauding an ASU team with their achievements, on both on offense and on defense, playing fewer games than a lot of uh, other teams in, in the Pac-12. So whether you want to take these numbers with a grain of salt or not, uh, that's uh, definitely in the eye of the beholder, as they say. When you look at total offense, ASU ranks first with 458.5 yards per game average. Now, I don't know if this is a surprise or not, but ASU actually led the entire Pac-12 in rushing offense with 264 yards, while their passing game was near last in the Pac-12 with an average of 194 yards. And what's interesting is that we knew coming into the season, and I know I talked about this in several articles as well as this podcast, that there were going to be a lot of newcomers who are going to be asked to carry the mantle, if you will, both in the ground game and the aerial attack for the Sun Devils. And suffice to say that the running backs – namely junior college transfer Rashad White and freshman Chip Trainum did much better with their respective duties compared to the freshman wide receivers for Arizona State, L.V. Buckley-Shelton, uh, Johnny Wilson, and two other four-star wide receivers, incoming freshmen, did not see the field at all for different reasons. Uh, Elijah B- Badger was not able to qualify academically, but the fact that he was already enrolled at ASU, participating in practices, doesn't really hold him back, I don't think, that much. And furthermore, he's been generating a lot of positive buzz as being the best wide receiver on the practice field in recent weeks. So curious to see 
how much of a contributor he can be in 2021. And then you have Chad Johnson Jr., who, let's just face it, uh, is really buried in the depth chart right now, not able to uh, crack the rotation, crack the two deep. And from a developmental aspect, certainly has a long road to haul. So that, I think, greatly affected the Sun Devils. But ultimately, I think you need to really turn to the veterans and see what happened over there in terms of ASU's passing attack. So let's start with wide receiver Frank Darby, the only senior on this team who just hours before I started recording this podcast did uh, declare that he was going to forego his last season at Arizona State as a quick reminder uh, because of the eligibility freeze. Even if you were a senior in 2020, you could still be a senior in 2021. Uh, Frank Darby, who played a quarter, maybe even less, against USC, uh, played against UCLA and U of A and was very quiet, to say the least, in his production, did opt out before the Oregon State game even took place and now is on his way to the NFL draft. I'm not going to talk too much about that situation other to say that I hope he's making the right decision because with very, very limited game film, and not the greatest quality of game film at that, he's going to have a hard time, and that's putting it kindly, getting drafted, unless he absolutely just blows away NFL scouts and front offices in his personal workout. So with Frank Darby really being a non-factor in the offense in 2020, that greatly did adversely affect Arizona State's passing game. So when we look at sophomore quarterback Jaden Daniels, really, really modest numbers in 2020. Again, you can talk about a small sample size of only four games, but averaging 175 yards, passing, passed for five touchdowns, only had one interception. So good job with ball security, just like he did in 2019. Uh, 700 uh, total yards passing. Definitely Put his mark more, I think, uh, in the in the rushing game. Um, actually, collecting 223 yards on the ground, averaging 55 yards a game. So even when you count um, all the sacks that uh, that he did have to endure, uh, I think that's still a, a really impressive number by him. And actually scoring four touchdowns on the ground too. Maybe a figure that you wouldn't expect to see, even though we saw Jaden Daniels definitely fulfill that dual threat expectation that fans and maybe probably coaches had had of him too. But when I look back at last spring practice, which was abbreviated, I mean, Ace was able to get in seven sessions, much more than the rest of the Pac-12 individually, you could see that there definitely were some legitimate growing pains. And I would say natural growing pains of learning the new system of first-year offensive coordinator Zach Hill. And I'm not saying it was any kind of warning sign back then, but you just knew that it wasn't going to be a smooth ride just because the offensive system that the Sundays were employing in this year was so different than, than 2019. And I know Zach Hill was trying hard not to put too much on Jaden Daniels and his teammates' plates in learning this offense, but when you had the vast majority of their sessions conducted virtually via Zoom. Even though ASU was able to be on the field even before preseason practices started more than a lot of their Pac-12 foes, it's still an offense that probably could have used a 
normal season, a normal cycle of the, of the preseason to really make sure that Jaden Daniels and his teammates were able to hone on this offensive system. But that, to me, only tells half of the story because, again, going back to the wide receiver situation, when you had your leader, Frank Darby, playing well, well below expectations, when you had to depend on so many younger players as starters, guys like Johnny Wilson, guys like Elvy Buckley-Shelton, it, it really became an, an uphill battle uh, from the first until the last game to really get this passing game to be truly explosive, truly impactful. And I think to Zach Hill's credit, when he had such a dominating rushing attack from day one, I think he felt comfortable just reining in the passing game, not asking Jenny Daniels to do much at all in that aspect. When you look at the last two games, both of them victories for ASU, Jenny Daniels never attempted more than 15 passes. Now, don't get me wrong. I never expected Jenny Daniels to be in the high 20s, low 30s in pass attempts on any given Saturday. But to have that low number of a pass attempts and still win the game just shows you a staff and a system that's very comfortable in pounding the ball and really pounding their opponents into submission. I mean, there were 375 rushing yards just in the last game alone against Oregon State. That to keep that approach, not to try even come close to taxing Jaden Daniels and a wide receiver group that was still trying to figure a lot of things out, really was a prudent way for Zach Hill and the offensive staff to go, and that's and that's what they did. And granted, a lukewarm passing game definitely hurt them against the LA schools, both of them losses, but really less of a factor in the two wins against Arizona and Oregon State, lesser caliber opponents where you quote-unquote got away with a passing game that was very tepid, but a ground attack that absolutely was able to impose its will and definitely good enough to make such a resounding statement in the first half where, I mean, the game against U of A, obviously the game was definitely over by halftime. Maybe not so much against Oregon State, but again, when you score 26 unanswered points in that period alone, Oregon State deep down knew that this was not a game that was going to be logged in the W column for them. You definitely want to see a more balanced attack by the Sun Devils in 2021. And you like to think that the passing game really has nowhere to go but up, even with Frank Darby not returning something he could have done in 2021. There's still a lot of young talent that maybe went through some painful but necessary growing pains just to produce a much better campaign next year. I did like what I saw from some of the returning wide receivers. Maybe the player that caught my eye the most is sophomore Ricky Parasol. Even though he only had 86 yards receiving, had one receiving touchdown, I thought that he really showed a lot of promise of being a player where he could line up anywhere on the field. He also had a rushing touchdown earlier in the season. And he's somebody that really is intriguing intriguing me uh, quite a bit. Probably the first man off the bench for the for this Arizona State receiving group. And that's a role that I think suits him really, really well. Although, I mean, putting him as a starter isn't anything that should create any apprehension whatsoever. Uh, Jordan Porter had a 68-yard receiving touchdown against Oregon State, showed that he can be that deep threat that should replace Frank Darby, I think, quite adequately, especially when you see what Frank Darby 
was able or not able to do in 2020. So that's another player that I think should excite ASU fans in 2021 in terms of what in terms of what he can bring to the table. Uh, Andre Johnson, player that he did have to miss the last contest due to COVID-19 protocols, but showed some flashes here and there, being a deep threat in his own, in his own right. And even when you look at incorporating the tight end position, Curtis Hodges, the senior who I believe is going to be back in 2021, uh, the fact that he was able to be more involved in the passing game for Arizona State than he was the last couple of years is something that you can, I'm not going to say hang your hat on, but definitely look look at it as a facet that could be developed that much more in 2021. So, you know, a passing game, definitely a unpleasant surprise. But then again, like I said, with a new system and so many newcomers needing to answer the call and really hit the ground running, looking back, may have been asking just a little too much of this Arizona State offense. Definitely hurt them in the two losses, did not hurt him at all in the two victories against U of A and Oregon State. But this is definitely one area that needs needs to be shored up. And if we can see early signs in 2021 that this is definitely one aspect of the offense that is showing marked improvement, um, I don't think the rushing game has any reason whatsoever to take a step back, especially with so many returning players where I anticipate on the offensive line, which did a great job run blocking, was kind of shaky in pass protection, especially in that UCLA game where five sacks were yielded. And and again, with sacks, it's never only on the offensive line, but they definitely have a hand in that. I think that overall, this is an offense that once it can become more complete in 2021, uh, can really be a force to reckon with. And when you look at the points scored, I mean, obviously that 70-7 to win over Arizona is going to skew a lot of stats on the offensive side, but Herm Edwards wanted to score 30 points a game this season, end up scoring 40, 40.25 to be exact. So mission accomplished and then some. You can definitely expect in a normal season with more normal results, if you will, an offense that's scoring probably closer to the 30s, but that still would be improvement uh, compared to 2019. And that's something that the Arizona State Office should strive for and I think should be able to achieve. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Arizona State passing game had issues in the UCLA contest where they were four weeks removed from their first game of the season against USC. But then when they played two consecutive games in two weeks at Arizona, at Oregon State, we definitely saw improvement compared to those first two contests. So again, I think it's something to be said about being in a normal practice cycle, being more in a rhythm. Truth be told, did not affect the Arizona State rushing attack whatsoever, but with a passing game where you just have a lot of timing, a lot of creativity and complexity with the, with pre-snap shift and motions, really not being able to be in that consistent practice mode, I think did take the toll on this Arizona State offense. So, it's really simple uh, in terms of what's on the to-do list. Just really get this ASU aerial attack producing at a higher level. I don't know if it's really going to maximize its entire potential in 2021, even though a lot of players are going to be experienced in those roles. But nonetheless, definitely one area of this Sun Devil squad that has a lot of room to grow and maybe not 
make an entire 180 degree turn from 2020, but certainly show enough signs that it's definitely on the right path to be the offense that it offensive coordinator Zach Hill and head coach Herm Edwards truly envisioned. Moving to our review of the ASU defense, and as the saying goes, no pun intended when you talk about it seemed like the Sun Devils, but the devil is in the details. On the one hand, you're seeing a defense that was only yielding an average of 23.25 points, not to belabor the point, but the 70-7 victory over U of A definitely left a mark over here and a good mark at that. But when you get into the weeds a little more, you see a rushing defense that gave up over 183 yards per contest and a passing defense that yielded 252 yards on average. So those are definitely not numbers to write home about. And look, in a 2-2 two and two season, it only go, goes to reason that you're not going to have a suffocating defense in each and every game. But something that I alluded to many times earlier in the year after the two losses to USC and UCLA, that this definitely was a defense that gave its offense a lot of opportunities to respond to defensive stops, let alone turnovers. And against the LA schools, that simply was not a symbiotic relationship between a defense just handing the offense an opportunity in a silver platter and the offense does not able to capitalize on that. Against U of A, against Oregon State, a total different story, to say the least. And no surprise that ASU was victorious in those two contests. Not only you talk about a defense only gave up seven points to U of A in the Territorial Cup game, but even against Oregon State, as we alluded earlier, 26 unanswered points scored, and two of those touchdowns came following a forced turnover by the ASU defense. And speaking of turnovers, and yes, we know that ASU played half of the games, if not more, compared to its FBS brethren. But if you look right now at the average turnover margin among all FBS schools, Arizona State sits on top with an average of 2.00. Its overall turnover margin of plus eight does rank them tied for seventh among FBS schools. So this definitely was an opportunistic unit that, again, wasn't always rewarded by the offense for its efforts, but nonetheless was very aggressive, and I'm sure that the offensive coordinators for both USC and UCLA could probably claim that it was the toughest group of 11 players they faced compared to any other team this year. When ASU moved to the 4-3-4 traditional system, after employing the 3-3-5 scheme the last two years. I don't think it was only the fact that Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce, the co-defensive coordinators, felt that this was 
the best scheme personnel-wise. But I just feel also coming from an NFL-rich background, they knew that this alignment is one that more often than not does produce the results that you're looking for. And obviously the biggest difference that you see with a four-man front is just a more aggressive group in nature and a group that doesn't really need to rely on linebackers or even defensive backs at times to generate pressure on an opponent's backfield. And out of the nine sacks that Arizona State did register, all of them did come from their defensive linemen. Five sacks by Tyler Johnson, the junior defensive end. One and a half sacks by defensive tackle three technique, Jermaine Lole, and another junior, uh, Michael Matus, a surprise starter at uh, defensive end, something I think caught a lot of fans by surprise, if not irritated them initially, uh, had one and a half sacks. And uh, DJ Davidson, the dependable nose tackle, had one sack of his own. When you look at overall tackles for loss, uh, leading the way, registering half of the 24 tackles for loss for the Sun Devils are Tyler Johnson, seven and a half, Jermaine Olay, five. So it really was rewarding, I would have to think, both for Lewis and Pierce to see the immediate dividends that they might have been expecting more down the road really produced from this defensive line that has absolutely played at a much higher level than last year, even though the cast of characters was really coming back intact from 2019. And, and I would say this defensive line was probably the best we've seen since the Will Sutton, Carl Bradford years in 2012 and 2013, uh, really uh, being extremely aggressive and absolutely menacing two offenses. And again, I, you, you can look at the USC and UCLA games and granted they didn't end up being in the lost column, but nonetheless, there definitely were several snaps where the, that defensive line absolutely disrupted the opponent and certainly established the line of scrimmage. And when your defensive line is playing as well as it did, it, it definitely has the positive trickle-down effect to its line, to the linebackers and to the defensive backfield. So you see Evan Fields, the senior safety who had an outstanding season, 38 uh, total tackles to, uh, to lead the team. Uh, Kyle Soley, the junior linebacker, uh, finally get a chance at a starting role. Uh, did not disappoint. Uh, second on the team with with, with 26 uh, total tackles. I thought junior Merlin Robinson, who's definitely one player we could see bolt to the NFL draft. Uh, even though he had uh, 24 tackles in, in four contests, Somewhat of a quiet campaign, I thought, for Robertson. Uh, didn't have a good game against uh, Oregon Oregon State, certainly in sharp contrast to his performance against USC, which was absolutely outstanding in, in, in comparison. Uh, Dar- Darren Butler uh, did uh, miss the last game due to, due to COVID-19 protocol, so uh, somewhat lower numbers over there for him, just, just 15 tackles. Um, another player aside from Evan Fields that really shined in the defensive backfield was was Chase Lucas, uh, the senior who had five uh, pass uh, breakups, one one forced fumble in four contests to go along with his 15 total tackles. 
he's a player that, as we know, as a retro freshman, was the only underclassman to earn all Pac-12 honors. Sophomore year uh, was really a rough run. Junior year was able to somewhat bounce back. And senior year, maybe in a way, came full circle, definitely played at an all Pac-12 level. Those all Pac-12 teams have not come out at the time of recording this podcast, but definitely expect them to make a return appearance on that group. And really, I think, had to step up even more with the unfortunate uh, dismissal of senior starting quarterback Jack Jones in the middle of the season. And uh, Chase Lucas really did not uh, miss a beat, did not feel that he was needing to put more pressure on himself, just went about his business and turned in just one heck of a 2020 season, four games in all. And he's one player which I think ASU might have a good chance of getting him back in 2021. I'm not going to say a great chance, but I think a fair chance at worst. And if he were to don the ASU uniform one last time in 2021, what a boost it would be for that defensive backfield. And the same can be said about Evan Fields, uh, the the senior safety, who I don't think is a shoe-in to leave after this year. So definitely you want to keep your eye on the announcements that should be forthcoming, I would would think, in the next couple of weeks from those two players, because to have them in the lineup again in 2021 uh, really – would help the defense immensely. And I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't mention grad transfer to DeAndre Pierce, who ended up being the starting safety from day one. And with the issues that junior safety Ashari Croswell was having this year, and much like Jack Jones being dismissed from the team in the middle of the campaign, uh, what a godsend it was to have a, such a dependable uh, safety veteran player like DeAndre Pierce uh, over there. Just one more really important cog for this ASU defense. So sometimes being predictable isn't a desired outcome or prophecy, but I think that when it comes to the ASU defense, we definitely expect them to be the dominant group out of the two compared to the offense. And sure enough, that's exactly what we saw in 2020. A great foundation to build on for 2021, especially for a lot of those key players that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago do return for the Sun Devils. This can definitely be a defense that will go down as one of the best ever that we've seen in Tempe. So now that you heard my perspective on the 2020 season, I wanted to invite Sun Devil Network color analyst Jeffrey Mapworth to give his take on what he saw from the Sun Devils in 2020. And now joining us on the Devil Junkies podcast is Sun Devil Network color analyst Jeffrey Rapforce. Uh, Jeff, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Huh? Not a problem. So uh, uh, sum up a uh, four-game 2020 season. I know sometimes that team is is, is who it is when uh, game four you know rolls by, and obviously ASU had to end their season after four games. What are your main takeaways of this uh, Sun Devil squad this season? so many starts and stops and so many um, bumps in the road, but I thought that they progressed well offensively. I really like what Zach Hill's did with the scheme on defense. 
like the motions. I like the shifts. I like the compressed formation. Really driving that that offense as he goes forward, and to, you know, to do it all in a pandemic environment where you're doing it all defensively. I like the switch from the three-three down to a four-three. He's out better. I was really impressed with Tyler Johnson. I thought defensively, schematically, they looked great. They were able to blitz when they wanted, put some pressure, but yet on third and eight, third and nine, stop guys short. So it looks like everybody's really getting a grasp of where they want to go. But in my opinion, it's chapter one of a long book. Um, hopefully these coordinators stay around and we can uh, build on it next year. So let's uh, concentrate on the offense a little. Um, I know that the running game has been solid. I mean, I don't know what your expectations were for this aspect of the offense, but the ground attack really delivered in, in each and every game. Uh, how, how do you feel uh, this this group has done? I mean, did they meet or exceed your preseason expectations? Yeah, probably the biggest group, uh, probably the biggest surprising group that we have on the ASU team, right? Everybody walked in going, wow, there's just no running back back on our depth chart. We're turning with a carry. And yet, you know, these guys have really run well. They, they have different styles, obviously, with, you know, Trainum being the bigger back and and I really like what he does as far as just being able to plow through people, but he keeps his shoulders parallel to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, then, you know, you got lightning in the other one that you can hit it from any, any distance, any on a run smooth, got great top end speed. Uh, really, it kind of reminds everybody of Marion Grace 2.0 um, and, and probably a better version of it, but really impressed with his, uh, his vision, his patience, his home run capability. I mean, let's be honest, Sean Aguano deserves a ton of credit as does Dave Christensen for that offensive line, because without a, without you know, a great O-line, you're not going to have a great running game, and those guys really did a super job. Yeah, let's talk about the offensive line. Uh, obviously, two uh, grad transfers came in, uh, Kelanisha at, uh, at left tackle and uh, Henry Haddis at, at right guard. Um, did you feel that uh, they really elevated the overall play of the offensive line, and did younger players like, uh, like Donovan West in your in your opinion, really take that next step in 2020. Yeah, I mean Donovan's going to be a great player. Everybody knew that going in. I mean, he did so well last year. And, you know, then you you look at what what happened. We we're able to solidify two older guys, a left tackle and right guard, and then you get Kate Cody, Cody back. Um, you know, and that's just an added bonus when you get you know a, a 60 year center back that's that strong. So really like what happened there. And you know, they had competition, right? Like Darius Henderson did make the starting lineup. He got beat out. You know, that's what you want to see is guys that are fighting for the jobs. Yeah. So in, in terms of the passing game, I know, I know when, you, when you look at the stats at, at the end of this four-game season, I mean, nothing really jumps out of the page in terms of Jaden uh, having gaudy numbers, um, any of the wide receivers, uh, you know, really exploding as we've been accustomed to see the last couple of years. Um, I know that you said that you liked what uh, Zach Hill was, uh, was trying to implement, but it, it, at the same time, I got to feel like it's really a, a lot of work in progress because uh, this uh, passing game, which was obviously complemented by a great running game, but really didn't like show everything it's capable of doing. Uh, what's your take now that the season's over on ASU's aerial attack? Yeah, I mean, when I, you know, I like what Zach is doing schematically. Um, you know, I agree the production for the wide receivers isn't there, but I don't think that's a function of scheme. I think that's a function of young wide receivers learning how to run routes and get open. I didn't think, I thought that was probably the weakest or most underperforming group for ASU this year and something they're going to need to get rectified. You need to go to, 
you know, you need one or two go-to receivers that you can hit in a man-to-man situation where you know that they're gonna they're gonna beat their one-on-one defender and I can get the ball out. So, but I, again, schematically, I love what they're doing. They got to keep coaching it up, and it will get there. We've got young wideouts, and, and they'll get better and better. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I was mentioning that was really prevalent, I thought, in the two losses against the L.A. schools is that um, the defense, I felt, was really playing as well as, as, well as you can expect, expect and really gave this offense opportunities to go ahead, do their thing, and really put this game away in the W column, especially in the UCLA contest, which I believe uh, the offense in the third – I'm sorry, the defense in the third quarter alone uh, forced uh, two turnovers and the offense wasn't able to do anything – I mean, as, as somebody who played the game, I mean, is, is this, you think it's somewhat demoralizing for a defense where they're just um, giving one opportunity after another to the offense, offense doesn't take advantage of it, and then the defense kind of reaches the quote-unquote breaking point and the dam breaks? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's, I don't know if demoralizing is the right word, but I mean, is there frustration when your defense is giving you the ball back? Yeah, but I think everybody's mature enough to realize that, hey, there's going to be there's going to be Saturdays where the offense carries it and where the defense carries it. And, uh, you know, those are the, that's just part of being a good team. So, you know, if, it, if we would have had an eight, you know, 10 week season and that was a constant, yeah, I would agree with you. But under short season like this, I don't think it became that big of a distraction. I think everybody realized that everybody was learning together. I mean, just overall, what do you think is on the uh, to-do list for this ASU offense in 2021? You know, I think, well, first off, you got to figure out who's going or staying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, potentially, you got to get figure out your outside corners. I thought Demarcus Davis did a great job of filling in for Jack Jones. Mm-hmm. Thought he really, I thought he really, really played well. And Chase had a really good, really good year. Are they going to go? Or are they going to stay? You know, what's Merlin going to do? So I think you know, you start off with who's going to be back, mm-hmm. then you take a look at it. I think more than ever, you know, this is like building a more of an NFL roster right now. Because it's not like normal graduation. Guys can come back or guys can choose to leave and you don't really know who's going to go. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, you have, what, how many kids are in the portal now? Almost a thousand, right? Yeah, almost, yeah. So you have a potentially a thousand free agents to build your team with. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot out there. To me, number one thing I think what I need to see for next year is uh, defensive line, I think, will continue to get stronger. Uh, I thought Tyler Dodson, I said, had a great year. Um, I think DJ Davis is highly underrated in their nose. Jeray Lole is great as, as always. I mean, he just makes plays. And, um, you know, from there, you know, who's going to be your fourth? Is it Matus? You know, is it Shannon Foreman? Um, anyway, a lot, lot to build on. And then I think we're going to have to get a punter, right? We've got to believe Turk is gone this year. He tried last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, but like, you know, uh, sh- shifting back to the offense, uh, what, what do you feel are the uh, – on, just on that side of the ball specifically on the to-do list uh, for the offense? Yeah, I think, I think you got to figure out the tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I think Zach wants to run some 12 personnel and even get some 13 personnel at times. But, you know, that is a position that we have not recruited at real well over the years. Uh, I'd say the last 10 years, really. And so I think you got to get the tight ends figured out offensively. Uh, just keep coaching them up, right? And I think, you know, it's, it's just going to be about getting playmakers on the field. But everybody has to kind of understand their roles. What do they do well? What do they not do well? You know, for example, there were a couple plays in the game at Oregon State because we were missing a Johnny Wilson. We were missing some of these players that we threw a fade route to an ex-receiver, Bunkley Shelton. But he's not he's not tall enough to be that fade guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, he's a slot receiver, uh, motion guy, 
you know, that's really kind of where his role was. And he was asked to do some things because of, you know, depletion of rosters that weren't there. But so I'd like to see you answer your question, you know, tight ends, get, get that solidified. Um, offensive line, I think is going to get better and better, figure out who's going to be there or not come back. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd be speculating, but I mean, is, is Kate going to come back for seventh year? I mean, you know, at some point he's going to feel like, all right, I got to get out of my life. And you know, <laughs> I want to do, do I want to try the NFL, give it a shot or, yeah. you know, what, what does that look like? Same thing with each. I mean, mm-hmm. each fits all the, the hallmarks of a NFL left tackle, just from a size perspective. And now they've got some good tape on him, but basically see what he does as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Shifting uh, uh, over to the defense, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that you really liked the the switch to the four three scheme. What specific do you think that switch did to this ASU defense in twenty twenty that we didn't have in twenty nineteen? Besides the obvious of having just more people on the line, but what what do you think the trickle down effect was? Well, I think one is it kind of I think one is it allows you to recruit and it allows you to recruit a five technique a wide you know weak side defensive end an nfl guy right mm-hmm. and when you're when you're playing a three three five and you're a kid who wants to play in the nfl um that's not a scheme that's really out there three four maybe right mm-hmm. you know definitely three four in the nfl is out there but not that three three five so one it allows you to recruit two i think it makes a stronger point of attack we got four guys, you know, we got four guys down there. I thought we were better against the run. And and people are going to hear this podcast and they go, yeah, well, look what Oregon State did to us in the rushing game. We were also missing a lot of guys. Michael Batus did not play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darian, Darian Butler did not play. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of, I look at it like that. What I think we'll see next year is an even better grasp of the defense as far as gap integrity, uh, alignment, responsibility. And, you know, you, you follow the Sun Devils better than anybody, really. What I don't remember any really big plays that we gave up this year. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I mean, I guess if you if you look at the fourth, uh, uh, the, the fourth down the touchdowns great, against USC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that was just, uh, I mean, I guess big play, not distance-wise, but just in terms of, uh, of just uh, situation, you know, when, when you get a fourth quarter. Uh, fourth down um, in, in the fourth quarter. But yeah, but now I would agree that uh, the absence of the big plays, which obviously were prevalent under Todd Graham, kind of went away a little um, in, in the first uh, in the first year of Herm Edwards, but I think kind of reared their ugly head last year. Uh, yeah, I would agree that 2020, um, there, was, there was never a really game that I thought that ASU ever got blown out of the water at all. I think when I say like giving, giving up a big play, right, there's plays that are going to happen in the game where you know, your guy is just better than my guy. Sure. And the pass to Drake London in the end zone, we had two guys back there. Mm-hmm. Markham's right there and one of the corners is right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, it's you know, he's two inches away from it. And we also had DeAndre Pierce, who went down before that. I don't think cramped or what, but he, yeah. he got nicked up and had to go out. So when I say they didn't give up a big play, I kind of look at the scheme and say, our guy's in the right spot. Yeah. And if they're getting in the right spot, that's what I'm looking for from a coaching perspective. Now, if my guys can't make the play, that's a different story. I just got to recruit bigger, better athletes. So in, in, in terms of defense, I mean, do you just really feel it's a matter of that if you're lucky enough to really get a lot of key players back in 2021, that uh, this defense can really be one of the best we've seen in a long, long time in Tempe? I mean, it has the capability, right? I mean, I thought I thought DeAndre Pearson did a nice job of, mm-hmm. of really filling in because, you know, Ashard Crosswell was pretty well solidified at that safety position. Yep. You know, for whatever reason, 
Um, and I've never, you know, because they can't go to practice, I've really never heard, but DeAndre Pierce beat him out, right? Yeah. And was that just because he wasn't used to playing that position? Was it, you know, I don't know what it was. But you've got your safety, you got good safeties, you have good corners. I really like what Jordan Clark brings in, a nickel corner. Um, he really, I thought, and that's a tough, probably that's one of the toughest positions on the field because you're close to the line of scrimmage, so an offense can attack you pretty quickly and make you come up and, and have to make tackles positional by where you're lining up in position. Um, but if they get all those guys back, I think it has a chance to be one of the better defenses. Is it going to rank up with, you know, uh, no offense, my, the Arizona, you know, 87-year-old goal team or the 97-year-old goal team? <laughs> I, I, I don't know just because I don't know if they have the defensive line that both of those teams had. Are you a big believer that – all the COVID nightmare that this ASU program has went through in 2020 can really make him mentally stronger for 2021, maybe be that, I don't know, quote-unquote X factor that can really get him over the hump just beyond uh, uh, the the sheer talent that this team should have next year. Yeah, I, don't, I probably would disagree with that because I think everybody went through COVID challenges. Did we get a little bit more? Yeah. But was that incremental impact that we experienced – enough to cause us to be that much harder mentally. Um, to me, what what it speaks to is the good job the coaching staff did of keeping everybody focused and progressing in spite of, yeah, they had probably more challenges than a lot of other teams. I think, you know, the other big advantage I think issue's going to have next year is Tonazona. Mm. Because these kids never really got together. They, they couldn't get together. They couldn't meet. They couldn't learn about, you know, each other. Um, there is some value in going to Tonazona and just getting away from everything and trying to establish us and we, not me or I. Definitely a good point there, Jeff. Well, Jeff, as always, uh, thank you uh, very much for, uh, for your time. Merry Christmas. Uh, Happy New Year to yours and yours. And uh, definitely look forward to catching you, uh, catching up in 2021. Well, I appreciate all you do, and I got to tell you, you're my, you're my like inside source, That'll do it for this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. I want to thank again our, our guest, Sun Devil Network color analyst Jeffrey Mapworth, providing his analysis of this 2020 season. It's impossible to overstate the fact that this was a 2020 campaign that offered a lot of challenges, and a lot of those challenges that ASU and every other college football program, for that matter, encountered this year are probably not going to be present in 2021. But on the other hand, I don't think your deficiencies should be taken with a grain of salt just because this entire season was out of whack and then some. So if you're Arizona State and you're able to really correct your challenges head on, this is definitely a squad that I believe can get over the hump. You cannot say it enough times that the quantity and the quality of the players that do have the option either to enter the NFL draft or just wanting to exhaust eligibility coming back in 2021 is going to dictate a lot of the fortunes of this Arizona State team. But I genuinely believe there's a lot to be excited about. And I can assure you that myself and my staff at devilsitis.com will be there to cover 
every inch of the way, starting in spring practice and all throughout Camp Tanazona and the 2021 season. So if you're not already a premium subscriber to my website, I would encourage you to sign up. There's still going to be a lot of recruiting news in the next weeks and months to come. Uh, again, as we mentioned, uh, spring spring practice and the preseason, which before you know it, will be here. So hope uh, you can join us in the Devil's Huddle at devilsdigest.com and become a premium subscriber. So thanks again for tuning in. Wishing you, you and yours Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, a very happy holiday season. And we will talk to you again in 2021. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town